All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue here through Revelation. Our context is this, the seven seals and the seven trumpets have already been blown, and those are judgments on the land of Israel. The seven seals were one-quarter judgments. The seven trumpets were one-fourth judgments. So we're getting ready for the big ones, the seven bowls where it's 100% judgment. I've said one of our three themes of Revelation, the second theme was the the two beasts, the land beast and the sea beast. Well, that's chapter 13. That's what we're going to do today. Our context also includes not only judgment, but also protection for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem between the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. We had 144,000 Jewish Christians sealed. They escaped Jerusalem in 66 AD, and they went to Pella, where they were preserved for 42 months for three and a half years during the Jewish War. And also, we're still in that interval between the trumpets and the bowls, and we also see some sealing there, too, where some measurement, the temple was measured where the people of God worshipped. That was the protection of the church, the Jewish Christians there, and also the woman in the wilderness who had eagle wings, and she flew to Pella, and she was saved. So the whole idea here that John is trying to say is, yeah, there's going to be judgment falling, but there's also going to be protection for the church. I noticed how this morning... Jay mentioned that, hey, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world, but hey, there's a lot of good stuff going on too. So we need to remember that not only is there judgment, there is also deliverance. All right, so let's go now to Romans 13. We're going to talk about two beasts starting with the sea beast, starting with verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Now John has now left his vantage point in his vision. He was in the throne room of God. Now he's come back down to earth. And he's looking at the dragon standing on the sand of the seashore. And I said there were two beasts. Actually there's three. There's the dragon beast. That's the devil. There's the sea beast. That's the Roman Empire. And then there's the land beast. That's the apostate Israel that killed Jesus. Now this... What we're going to see here is an unholy trinity of three beasts, and they're connected with each other. They're all empowered and given strength by the devil himself, okay? They're connected together, and I'm going to show you the connections as we go through. The first connection is between the dragon, the devil, Satan, and the the sea beast, the Roman Empire. And this is very easy to see, so let's start here. This beast coming out of the sea, that's why we call him the sea beast, he has ten horns. Well, how does ten horns link him with the Roman Empire? Well, there's further descriptions of the sea beast in Revelation 17 in verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Now, The last time I ran across this, I mentioned this, that there was a a theologian in the late 1800s named F.W. Farrar who mentions the ten provinces of Rome as being the ten horns. And it was interesting because Steve did the same thing I did. When I heard that, I went to Wikipedia and there's all kind of provinces because the number of provinces changes as time goes on. Well, I did some more research last week. And I found out that the Greek historian, philosopher, geographer, Strabo, from whom we get a lot of information about the Roman Empire, he said that, they, that 
they were tw- when Caesar Augustus was emperor, that there were 20 provinces, 10 of whom Augustine ruled directly, and the other 10 he let the local people rule, kind of home rule situation. Well, look how well that fits here. And I, I got this quote from two other well-known commentators, John Gill and Matthew Poole, and Right here in Revelation 17, 12, they will receive authority as kings. They were kings under the Roman Empire, those ten, with the beast for one hour for a short time. And they had not yet received a kingdom. That's because they didn't have total autonomy. So this quote from Strabo matches what happened in what we see in Revelation 17, 12 pretty closely. So the ten horns tie. And remember, the dragon's got ten horns and the sea beast has ten horns. So that ties them together. Alright? So now let's go to the seven heads. Again, the dragon has seven heads. The dragon, who's a beast, has seven heads. And so does the sea beast. Now John helps us out here in Revelation 17, 9, second half of the verse. He tells us the seven heads are seven mountains on whom the whore of the woman, that's the whore of Babylon, which is apostate Israel, was seated. We'll get to that in chapter 17. The seven heads of seven mountains. Well, those are the seven hills of Rome. Today, even today, these are the seven hills. Palatine, Aventine, Capitoline, Quirinal, Viminal, Esquiline, and Celian hills. Now, that is so obviously Rome that nobody denies that the sea beast is Rome. Now, futurists will say it's a revived Roman Empire since the old Roman Empire is Kaputsky. But I'm saying, no, it's the real Roman Empire. Now, these heads had blasphemous names on them. That is a parody of the priest, I think, the Old Testament priest. He had a golden medallion on his turban, and it was written, Holy is the Lord. Well, this beast has things on his head that probably said Satan is king or whatever, blasphemous stuff. The diadems showed power. The ten horns had certain power uh, as rulers the ten kings had. And notice that the dragon is standing on the sand of the seashore. He's standing on the land. And so I'm assuming that this beast here is right here in Israel. And Israel is worshiping the dragon. So now we go to... Oh, we're not finished with the seven heads. John also tells us in Revelation 17, 9, second half of the verse, in verse 10, the seven heads, or seven mountains on which the woman is seated, there are also seven kings. Now this clue that John gives us also ties the sea beast with the dragon because John says they are also seven kings. Five have fallen. Now remember John is writing in the mid-60s. Who's who's the emperor of Rome in the mid-60s? That would be Nero. The five kings, the five emperors of the Roman Empire before Nero were Julius Caesar, number one, Augustus Caesar, number two, Tiberius, number three, Caligula, number four, Claudius number five, one is, that's Nero because he's the king now, he is, present tense when John is writing, and one, the other who has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain for a little while. All you have to do is read the history of the Roman Empire. Nero died in 68, committed suicide. The Roman Empire fell into total confusion and chaos and civil war. It's called the year of four emperors because in 68 and 69 they had four emperors. Galba was the first of the, of the uh, four emperors. He lasted seven months. He must remain for a little while. So if you are a 
recipient of John's letter of Revelation, you know history, you know what's going on, you know what, how to interpret this. We don't know the history, and so we come up with big question marks. We go to verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. What we see here, this last phrase here, the dragon, the beast, has given all of his power to the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire is a satanic, demonic, pagan empire. It has all the power of these three animals. Now, these three animals, especially if you know the book of Daniel, remember the four kingdoms in Daniel? The first kingdom was what? Babylon. I know you don't remember this probably, but the first king is, the first kingdom was Babylon. And Babylon was represented by a lion. It's in reverse order. Second king was Persia. And it was represented by a bear. And the third king was Alexander the Great's king, kingdom, Greece. And it was represented by a leopard. And then the fourth king was represented by a monstrous beast who didn't have a name. And the monstrous beast had all the power of the first three kingdoms. It was the Roman Empire. And then if you remember in the, in the book of Daniel, a stone like a mountain came and s- smashed the fourth kingdom, that's the kingdom of Christ, taking over the Roman Empire. Okay? So this is not just incidental detail that these three animals are mentioned here because this beast, Roman Empire, had all the power of all the preceding pagan nations in the world. So we go down to verse 3, first part of the verse. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. Now, this is a difficult passage to interpret here, and there's three preterist interpretations. I'm only going to focus on one, because that's the one I like. I'm going to tell you two, and I'm going to skip this one, because I'm scared I'm not going to have enough time to finish. If we do, we can come back to it. But some people say that this is the Nero Ritavivus myth. And that's just a fancy Latin term for Nero come back to life because there was a myth in the ancient world that after Nero killed himself, he was going to come back and run and rule the Roman Empire. But I don't believe that's what it's talking about. His fatal wound was healed. Roman Empire, Nero dies, symbolizing the Roman Empire, and coming back to life because that's a pagan myth. It wasn't true. Nero never came back, and I don't believe that John was talking about that. But I do believe he's talking about this. Remember I told you about the year of four emperors? Which you can look up in Wikipedia, by the way. You type in year of four emperors, and there's a whole article on it. There were, the four emperors were this. The, the three that lasted a short time were Galbus, excuse me, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. And then Vespasian came in and straightened everything out, and he was a great emperor and lasted a long time. All right? Well, when Vespasian came in, he rescued, he healed the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was fatally wounded with all, these, all this civil war going on. Many people that were watching at the time said, the Roman Empire's toast, it's gone, it's finished, it'll never survive. But it did survive. And I think that fits that pretty good, especially since it was right around the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. This other one I'm not going to talk about here. So we're going to say that this is Vespasian ruling, uh, rescuing the Roman Empire. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's actually a detail. So now we go to Revelation 13, second half of the verse, verse 4. And the whole land was amazed and followed after the beast. 
They, that means the people on the land, the Jews, they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. So here we see idolatrous worship by apostate Jews who are worshiping not only the dragon, but they're also worshiping the beast, and that's the sea beast, and that's the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, we can see this unholy alliance between the Jews and the Romans, the apostate Jews and the Romans. We can see it in Revelation 17, 3. So he, that's Jesus, carried me away in the spirit to a desert, carried John away in the spirit to a desert, and John saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The woman sitting on the beast, the scarlet beast is the Roman Empire, the beast with the seven heads and ten horns. The woman sitting on that scarlet beast was the whore of Babylon. That whore of Babylon stands for apostate Israel. I'm going to prove that when we get there in chapter 17. But just take it on my word right now. And we see in Revelation 17, 16, John says, the ten horns, or Jesus says, the ten horns you saw in the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. Now, the interesting thing is we see an unholy alliance between the sea beast, the Roman Empire, and the land beast, the apostate Israel, and they're together because they're riding, Israel is riding on top of Roman Empire. You've got the sea beast on the bottom. You've got the whore Babylon, Israel riding on top. Wherever the Roman Empire goes, the sea beast goes. All right? They're together. They're fine. In fact, that was in history, that's what happened. Until, because of various historical reasons, there was a falling out between Israel and the Roman Empire. What happened? The Romans came in and burnt Israel down, burnt Jerusalem down in the Jewish war. Well, that's exactly what John says. The beast, the sea beast, the Roman Empire will hate the prostitute, the whore that's riding on the back of the sea beast. And then the Roman Empire will make her desolate and naked, wipe out the whole land of Israel, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. So John is predicting exactly what happened in history. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to know history. And who's the main source is Josephus. Somebody offered a free Josephus book this morning. Read Josephus, and this stuff will start making a lot more sense. Now we go to verses 5 through 7 of Romans 13. There was given to him, i.e. the sea beast, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Now let's stop here. 42 months, that's the same thing as how many years? Good. How many days? Right. It's a standard term. It means woe, doom, gloom, desolation, judgment, bad things. Authority to act for 42 months was given to the sea beast. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Well, the Roman Empire, of course, as you know, was very hostile to Christianity up until about 314 or so A.D. when Constantine came into power and legalized Christianity. It was also given to him, the sea beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Once again, C, which is the, cons- the symbol C, refers to the Gentile nations all throughout Scripture. That's another way we know the sea beast is the Roman Empire. And here, right here, every tribe and people and tongue and nation, that's referring to Gentiles. Now, the question is, in verse 7, who are these saints? Because who the saints are determines which 42-month period we're talking about here. Now, if you take saints as Christians which is the normal way we do. When did the sea beast make war on the Christians 
for three and a half years. Well, as it turns out, Nero persecuted the church from November of 64 to June of 68. If you start counting in December and go all the way to June of 68 when he committed suicide, it's 42 months. Exactly. Three and a half years. And I think that's the preferable solution there. But it could be that saints is referring to the Jews because you call them saints, in, in, like in the air quotes, the so-called saints. The people in Jerusalem are saints of Jerusalem because they've always been called saints. Some people say that. And so then the 42 months would be the Jewish war from 66 to 70. But I prefer this solution right here that it was Nero persecuting the Christians. So here we have the Romans persecuting the Christians, the Gentile Christians. We've got the apostate Israel persecuting the Jewish Christians. All right, we go to verse 8, Revelation 13. All those who live on the land will worship him, worship the sea beast, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. In other words, all those Jewish people who do not believe their name is not written in the book of life and they live on the land, they will worship the sea beast. Well, how do they worship the Roman Empire? Well, here's a key verse. Remember when the mob, the Jerusalem mob, is standing there and Pilate's trying to get Jesus off because Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. And the mob just won't go along with Pilate. And so in John 19, 15, they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And this is how they answered. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. So when they had the choice between worshiping Jesus or killing him or acknowledging Caesar as king and effectively worshiping Caesar, they chose Caesar. So, yes, the people in the land worship the sea beast. Now, well, before I go into this, let me, let me say this too, that you can, if you read enough history of the Jews and the Romans, you see that the Jews are constantly sucking up to the Roman Empire. They're constantly going over there to the Romans and saying, this person has done some bad thing, some blasphemy, you need to take care of it. So this is not surprising that they're worshiping the sea beast. What did the Sadducees and the Pharisees fear most of anything? They're scared. Our kingdom will take it away. It, it, is, it is better for one person to die for the nation, one of them said. So let's kill Jesus because we're going to lose our place. That's what they were worried about. So, yes, they, they loved the Roman Empire. At least the leaders did. They loved the Roman Empire because it gave them power, especially the Sadducees. All right, we go to verse, verses 9 and 10. John continues, or Jesus continues. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Now, the key word here is destined. That means it's fated, it's predestined, it's fixed, it ain't going to change. Okay? Who is destined for captivity? Who is destined to be killed? Well, it must be somebody bad because the fact that somebody is destined to be captured and destined to be killed gives perseverance to the saints. And it honors the faith of the saints. So what it's talking about here is the bad guys are going down. The sea beast is going down. The land beast is going down. All those on the land who are worshiping the Roman Empire and going along with their 
persecution of the church, they're going down. It, it's, it's too late for them. This is a quote from Jeremiah 15.2. Jeremiah is preaching against the Jews in Jerusalem who are trying to say, we don't have to worry about the Babylonians coming in here and wiping us out. We're going to make alliances with Egypt. We just don't need to worry about that. And, and Jeremiah says, if they ask you where will we go, tell them this is what the Lord says, those destined for death to death, those destined for the sword to the sword, those destined for famine to famine, those destined for captivity to captivity. Jeremiah was talking about apostate Jews in his day that were destined to do. But here, uh, there's apostate Jews that are destined for captivity and death also. But their captivity and death is going to deliver the saints. They're going to be delivered. And again, it's really easy to forget. There's death, destruction, captivity, disaster in the book of Revelation, but it's for the bad guys. It's not for us. It's not for the believers. The whole purpose of the book was to encourage the believers to make it in the times of persecution. Now, that's the first, that's Actually, the second beast, the dragon beast, and now the sea beast, and now we go to the land beast, apostate Israel. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the land, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, John is, say he's south of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. In his vision, he's not in heaven anymore. He's already seen the dragon on the land, and he's seen over here to the left, probably coming out of the sea, right about where Italy is, you know, where Rome is. He sees the sea beast coming up. Now, he looks back on the land where the dragon is, where the devil is, and he sees another beast coming up. This is the beast out of the land, the so-called land beast. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Well, let's talk about the speaking as a dragon first. Let's jump over to Revelation 16, 13. Then I, John, saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the sea beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. Revelation 19.20 tells us the false prophet is the land beast. So we got the unholy trinity right here, the three beasts, dragon beast, sea beast, and the land beast, and they're all speaking, and out comes a frog. Now, if you want a metaphor for something ugly, let's say I say, you know, my girlfriend's ugly as a frog. My girlfriend looks like a frog. Is she pretty or ugly? <laughs> ugly. Because I would never say it, of course, but, you know. Um, when we use, I don't, how many of you like frogs? Most, some people like frogs, but I never saw anybody that said a frog was pretty. They're ugly. So the point here is that these frogs coming out of the three beast's mouths, is, they're speaking ugliness, blasphemies, okay? And so this false land beast He's speaking like the dragon. He spoke as a dragon. He's speaking like a dragon with a frog coming out of his mouth. Just like the false prophet right here in Revelation 16, 13 is speaking with a frog coming out of his mouth. Okay? So he's speaking ugly, but he looks pretty. Why? Because he has two horns like a lamb. Now, how many of you seen a lamb ever think a lamb looks ugly? My girlfriend looks like a lamb. She acts like a lamb. She's gentle as a lamb. Oh, that's wonderful. Beautiful, right? She might be a dragon on the inside, but I mean, she looks, <laughs> she looks good. <laughs> and this is what the false beast is like. Because two horns like a lamb means he comes across as something beautiful. And you think about all the religious system of Israel, it was religious. I mean, they were quoting Yahweh all the time, the Old Testament, the scriptures, and God, and the priesthood, and all that. But it was, it was all full of the devil. 
That reminds us, of course, of this verse that Jesus said, Matthew 7, 15, be on your guard against false prophets. Remember, the land beast is a false prophet. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are wolves. Well, John says they're inwardly like a dragon, which is similar to a wolf, fake. So we go to verse 12 in Revelation 13. The land beast, or he, the land beast, exercises all the authority of the first beast, the sea beast, in his presence. And he, the land beast, makes the land and those who dwell in it to worship the sea beast, whose fatal wound was healed. Now, here we see the, the how can I say, not the, 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 conspiracy, the conspiratorial mindset, the idea that the Jews are going to work with the Romans to persecute the Christians. The sea beast working with the land beast to persecute the Christians. The land beast exercise all the authority of the sea beast in his presence. They're working together. Now, I'm going to give you, I've got a whole string of quotes that show this in my notes. I'm just going to give you several here. Acts 4.27, first part of the verse. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, this is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, they're the Gentile rulers, the sea beast rulers, the Roman Empire rulers, they, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, Assemble together against your holy servant Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Who put him on the cross? The Gentiles and the Jews. The sea beast and the land beast. Acts 12, 1 through 3. About that time, King Herod, that's King Herod Agrippa I, violently attacked, violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with a sword. Okay, so the, the Roman governor executed James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother with the sword, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. So you see the Jews and the Gentiles are working together constantly. And that's what John is talking about here in the book of Revelation. Here's a couple more, Acts 14 too, but the unbelieving Jews, this is an Iconium on the first missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Jews and the Gentiles working together against the Christians. Acts 14.5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews in Iconium with their rulers to mistreat and stone them. So this unholy alliance was worked out in history between the land beast and the sea beast. We go to verses 13 and 14. He, the land beast, performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth, to the land, in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the land because of the signs it was given him to perform in the presence of the sea beast, telling those who dwell on the land to make an image to the sea beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Now, first of all, we notice signs that are done. This is John seeing this in his head now, in his vision. And he sees this land beast with the two, two horns, performing great signs. Now, I don't know what kind of signs John saw, but we do see one sign he did see. He makes fire come down out of heaven. So John is, remember, his vantage point now is on earth. He's watching the sea beast on the, on the land, and all of a sudden, the sea, excuse me, the land beast, and the land beast calls down fire out of heaven. Whoosh. Well, that's pretty impressive. What's the point of doing a sign? What are, what's the point of signs? Christian signs. What did John say? So, yeah, the signs are signposts that point you to heaven, right? And he did. The first seven miracles in the book of John are called signs because they point people to heaven. Well, this 
land beast, the apostate Israel is trying to point people to the sea beast or to the devil. And so that's why he's doing the signs. Jesus warned against false prophets. Remember, the land beast is called also the false prophet. He warned against that in the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse concerned the time period between 8030 and 8040, the birth pangs of tribulation, the great tribulation. I should say 8030 to 80, right before the Jewish war. The birth pangs of tribulation. The Jewish war is the great tribulation between 8066 and 8070. And during that time period, Jesus says, false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And if you read Josephus, you'll see there were a lot of false messiahs out in the wilderness doing great signs. And I don't know what those signs were. If you look at, if you ever read occult stuff, maybe better not do that, but if you do, you'll see, what do they do? They, they lift tables up in the air. They might do demonic healings. They, you know, they've got their miracles. But... Um, their, the purpose to lead people astray. So, this deceiver, this deceiving land beast, performs signs in front of the sea beast, again, to point people to the Roman Empire, to submit to it, and then these, this land beast tells those who dwell in the land to make an image to the sea beast. Now, what is an image? That's an idol. What's the point of an idol? If, if I have an image of a fly and I bow down to the image of the fly, am I worshiping the, the material that the image is made out of? Or am I rather worshiping the fly demon that's behind the idol? Worshiping the demon that's behind the idol. So the idea here is there's an image, and let's say John, what he sees is, he sees a little scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns, a little one which looks as an image of the big one, the, the Roman sea beast, which is scarlet with seven heads and ten horns. So you're looking at that image because it's an idol because the land beast wants everybody to bow down and worship the sea beast, the Roman Empire, to follow the Roman Empire. We go to verse 15. And it was given to the land beast to give breath to the image of the sea beast so that the image of the sea beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the sea beast, to be killed. And so again, the idea is, we're not going to revolt against the Roman Empire, and if you do, we're going to take you out. And so, the land beast gives breath to the image. Breath. What happens when you give breath to somebody? Comes to life. And so, this image is empowered, it's vitalized, it's made alive, because by golly, this is not your ordinary idol. This is a this is the mother of all idols. We want total devotion to the Roman Empire, to the sea beast. And if you don't do that, if you don't worship the image of the sea beast, you're going to get killed. Now John is probably seeing something in his vision. He's probably seeing people being, probably seeing the land beast kill somebody in, in the vision. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, 16, you will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. Now, this is talking about in the run-up to the Jewish war. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were sealed, protected, delivered as the woman in the wilderness, as we know. But until then, there were some Christians that got killed. Jesus said, not one hair of your head will be harmed. But some of you might get killed. That's because in the resurrection, you're going to get your hair back. So... Uh, the idea here is a serious thing. 
to rebel against the Roman Empire. So, so we go to verses 16 and 17. And he, the land beast, requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or his forehead. Oh, this is the mark of the beast, folks. I'm sure you've heard of that. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the sea beast's name or the number of his name. Well, first of all, before we talk about this mark, let's talk about where the mark is. It's on the right hand and on the forehead. This is a parody of what God told the Israelites to put on their right hand and on their forehead. In the famous Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8, we read this. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead, the same place. The idea is if you have the words of God in your heart and you put them on your hand symbolically, not actually in a leather box like the Jews did. They were always trying to be literal about everything. But what God is, Moses and God is trying to say here, if you put the word of God on your hand, that means you'll do things because you do things with your hand according to the word of God. And I'll get to you in just a second. But if you put them on your forehead, you will think the things of God. All right, so let's move on here. This mark says or allows you to buy or sell. No one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. The sea beast's name or the number of his name. Now, I found on Wikipedia a New Testament scholar. I do not know if he's a preterist. Actually, I don't know anything about him. Might not even be a Christian. I don't know. But this is what he said, and I think it, 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 it pretty well sums up what preterists think about the mark of the beast. It is probable that the mark symbolizes the all-embracing economic power of Rome, whose very coinage bore the emperor's image and conveyed his claims to divinity, e.g., by including the sun's rays in the ruler's portrait. It had become increasingly difficult for Christians to function in a world in which public life, including the economic life of the trade guilds, required participation in idolatry. So let's say you're a Christian businessman in Israel and you want to do business, go to Caesarea, send some ships out on the Mediterranean. Well, you've got to join a trade guild. What do you do at the trade guilds? They have feasts and they eat idol meat offered to idols. They actually maybe offer homage and worship to idols, maybe pinch a little incense to the emperor. And then, of course, if you're actually going to do commerce, even if you don't go to the trade guilds, you have to use Roman coins, and they've got pictures of the emperor on the coin, and the divine Augustus. The Roman emperors, as time went on, Augustus didn't do it, actually, but as, as by the time he got to Caligula and after that, they started claiming divinity. So the point is, is they were wrapped up in an economic system that demanded total idolatry, and the Jews wanted it that way. They were making money. The Sadducees were making money hand over fist. If you read the history of all the economic activity going on in Jerusalem, which nobody ever does because it's always considered a religious place, but they were making lots of money and they were involved in lots of commerce. And the Jews did not want that to stop. And if they've got a rebellion of Christians who are claiming another king that's not the Caesar going on in their country, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't do that. We need to worship the sea beast. We do not need to have a new kingdom, a new Messiah. So I think that's what's the idea. Now, we got seven minutes to tell you who, what 666 is. Yeah, man. And you know 666, that's in our culture, that's everywhere. I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I went to a Kentucky Fried Chicken on Willow Drive in Sumter, South Carolina. And they had a special going on, and you buy certain things, they charge you a certain amount of money, and you give them a $10 bill, and the change 
pops up on the register, $6.66. So we go in there, give them the $10 bill, and there it was, 666. Well, I've got to make a comment about it, you know? So I said, ooh, it looks like this is the place of the Antichrist. <laughs> and the poor girl behind the counter, she, terror goes over her face, and she says, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. It's been coming up on the register all day, all day, all day. <laughs> so we need to know what 666. Well, first of all, it's not 666, by the way. It's 666. <clears throat> now, it says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the sea beasts. He who has understanding. Now, I'm going to show you that the sea beast is Nero Caesar. The, excuse me, the number of the man is Nero Caesar. Well, let, let's, let me back up a minute. If you are a Jewish Christian reading the book of Revelation, and you come here, and you see sea beasts. Now, I've already shown you how sea beasts is obviously the Roman Empire, right? I mean, ten heads, ten horns. I mean, the sea, it's obvious that's the Roman Empire. No question about that. Except five kings have fallen, one is, okay? So you're already thinking about the Roman Empire, and then you say this number is that of a man. Mm, a man? Well, who's the man you're going to think about when you think about the Roman Empire? The emperor. So now you're already thinking emperor. Now, the Jews were bilingual, many of them, because they, as one early commentator on Revelation said, they thought in Hebrew, they wrote in Greek, but they thought in Hebrew. Remember John translated destroyer. He said, Abaddon is destroyer in Hebrew, and Apollyon is destroyer in Greek in a previous chapter. So he knew he was writing to a bilingual audience. Now, if he, is, if he just said the man is Nero, what's going to happen? He passes these copies of Revelation out to the seven churches, and a member of the Roman Empire, a soldier, whatever, picks it up and says, this guy's preaching against Nero. What's going to happen to the messenger? What's going to happen to the recipient churches? What's going to happen? Yeah, <laughs> they're going to get deplatformed. That's exactly right. So John had to, he had to hide who he was talking about. Well, he knew that Hebrew Christians in the church, they are going to think Caesar. Well, how do you say Caesar in Hebrew? Neron Kaiser, I don't know how to pronounce it. The Hebrew does not have the vowels. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. But here is the English transli transliteration of the Hebrew. Here are the Hebrew letters right here which I don't, I don't know Hebrew, so I can't tell you about that, but this is the English, English transliteration, N-R-W-N-Q-S-R, Nero and Caesar, Nero, Caesar is Caesar, Nero Caesar. Now, Hebrew is like Greek. They don't have a separate number system. I don't, Ed, tell me, alpha equals one, beta equals two, gamma equals three. So if you want to do a number in Greek, you have to do the letters, alpha, beta, gamma. Well, same thing in Hebrew. Now, if you take the numeric equivalents of the letters N equals 50, R equals 200, W equals 6, N equals 50 again, Q equals 100, S equals 60, and R equals 200, you add it all up, and you get 666. Now, here's the Hebrew right here. comes up 666. Now, you say, well, maybe that's a coincidence. Lots of people come up with schemes to get 666. I'll never forget when somebody proved to me that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist, because if you take R-O-N-A-L-D and get a number, and I, my favorite president is the Antichrist. I, 
I'm still mad about it after 40 years. Now, I've also heard that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist, that Muammar Gaddafi was the Antichrist. People put these books out, and they say 666. It has to be a relevant 666. Why was this relevant? It's the sea beast. It's relevant to the sea beast, the number of a man. It was Caesar. Who exiled him? Roman Empire. So Nero exiled. Why would Nero just kill him then? Well, Nero didn't kill every Christian. In fact, no. whenever an emperor decided to persecute somebody, they had choices. They could either kill you, they could exile you. In fact, uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Augustus Caesar, who was it, Julia, his daughter, that was such a promiscuous slut that he got embarrassed with her. He had to... 666. He didn't kill her. He banished her. So, you know, the emperors had discretion. I don't know why Nero didn't, didn't kill him. Well, because maybe not for him, maybe not for him, but if he's sending the letters out to the seven churches, they could get in trouble. It wouldn't pass. You're right. So um, they found copies of Revelation that were written in Latin, and the number was not 666, it was 616, because when you spell out Nero Kaiser in Latin, it actually adds up to a different number. If you so take, the translation was changed. If you take the N off, that's the Latin transliteration. You take the N off, and that's how you say Nero Caesar in Latin. And then you add it up, the end is worth 50. See? So you take 50 away, 666, you end up with 616. And so the, they speculate that the scribes are right and says, oh, that's not Nero Caesar. They, that, somebody made a mistake. And so they, they did it 616. But I need to move on here because we're a little bit late because i got two more points I want to make. First of all, do you see any mention of the Antichrist here? Now, it's interesting. Everybody always says 666 is the number of the Antichrist. Well, it's not there. Now, let me ask you. Where in the Bible is there a mention of a future Antichrist? The one, the future Antichrist. I'll give you a quick answer. It ain't in there. In fact, that's one of the things that got me off of futurism because I was taught that constantly for years. And so I said, finally, I got time to study eschatology. I'm going to find the Antichrist. And I kept looking and I kept looking. I said, well, where is he? He's not in there. So that's just an assumption to say that the beast is the Antichrist. It's an assumption. It is not proven. There is a mention John says about Antichrist will come. I use that term Antichrist all the time, referring to people in Congress and you know that kind of thing, but 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 not to the one world dictator. There is nothing in the Bible that says there's going to be a one world government, and there's nothing in the Bible that says there's going to be the Antichrist. Now it might happen. I cannot predict the future, but there's nothing in the Bible that says it definitely will happen. That was the first point I wanted to make. I can't remember the second points, which is probably good. All right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. On that happy note, let's take the Lord's table. And This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. 
Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.